You are now listening to the Inner Circle Podcast Network. everybody what's good konnichiwa motherfuckers i hope everybody's having a lovely day this is abakabu cafe the world's own kimagure orange road podcast in english my name is jason almy i host this fine program and i welcome and thank you for pressing play today today we're going to be talking about kimagure orange road tv episode 36 entitled adios kioske paranormal powers caught on video Originally, this episode aired on December the 7th of 1987. It was directed by Nakamura Koichiro. Nakamura has directed quite a few episodes now at this point. Uh, Episode 6, introducing Yusaku. Episode 12, which is the episode where Ayuko packed all her shit for nothing. Episode 21, which was uh, Kumiko trying to seduce Kasuga in the mountainside. And 26, Kasuga and, and Kazuya, his cousin, switch bodies. And also episode 30, which was the episode where Kurumi uh, pretends to fall in love, I guess. I guess she's got a soul. She falls in love after all. So this is now Nakamura's sixth episode. Of course, this episode was written by Terada Kenji. That comes as no surprise to anybody. Terada Kenji has written everything. He wrote all the episodes of Orange Road. He wrote all the books. He wrote the Bible. He wrote my obituary. He's also written 17 episodes that we've talked about on this podcast so far, including the last two. So this is his third consecutive writing credit, and it's been a minute since he's had three in a row like this. This episode focuses on the long-running question of what would be the consequences for the Kasuga family if their power were to become known. It's been dangled in front of the audience before in previous episodes. It it's sort of the ever-present threat, but it's never really followed through on. Kind of like your parents saying, I'm going to turn this car around. Did they ever turn the car around? It seemed like an empty threat to me after a while. No previous episode has really focused on what happens when people learn about his secret. 
the whole point of a secret in any narrative, not just Orange Road, but any narrative, any any book, any movie, any television series, the point of that narrative having a secret, one of the characters having a secret they've got to keep is for that secret to be revealed. You can build tension by not revealing the secret right away. You can tease it a little bit. You can build some suspense over time, but at some point, other characters have to learn about the secret so that the audience can experience their reactions. It's not really something that we we actually get with any of these Orange Road episodes. This is as close as we're ever going to come. I hate to spoil the future for you guys, but this is as close as we ever come to the other characters, the side characters finding out about the Kasuga family power. And so we do get to see a little bit of reaction here, but it's never really cemented. It's certainly never picked up upon, again, by any future episode. So in that regard, it's a little bit like episode 32. That's Kasuga's birthday episode, where you have this ending that really unambiguously reveals the sci-fi element of of the show to all of the side characters they all take this sharp breath (gasps) oh my gosh and then that's it that's the end of the episode and we never mention it again it's a little bit like that here so we begin with a a strange fight sequence it's almost like a, a dream because the characters are so strangely dressed and oddly costumed shikaru attacks an oddly costumed Kasuga. They don't quite look like themselves. I mean, look at what Shikaru's wearing over her boob. It's like half a sports bra. With their costumes, the mise-en-scene is already giving it away that we're watching this narrative within a narrative. But this could be a little bit of like art imitating life. Shikaru is completely method to give her credit, you can see that she's a future entertainer to be here because she really gets into it. I mean, she's really giving it her all. And it makes sense that she's doing such a good job acting given how hard she's been fooling herself lately, if you know what I'm saying. And her beating the shit out of Kasuga could be due to her finally internalizing that Kasuga loves Ayukawa. And we already saw her ready to strangle the life from him in episode 20. So why not, right? It makes sense that she would go after him and begin pummeling him. It's at least consistent with an earlier characterization of her. Then we see Shikaru after KTFOing Kasuga. She goes after Ayukawa. And it seems maybe mostly believable, if not a little ill-advised response from Shikaru as well as a reaction to a potential betrayal. So if not for the costumes, we might be fooled into thinking that something really crazy is going down right now in the opening of the episode. But we get a few long shots of both Ayukawa and Shikaru, the camera's position, a little bit low, and and it's a little bit long. You can see the wind kind of blowing the character's hair, and the shots really seem to have come straight from a Hollywood Western with maybe a little bit of the influence of the spaghetti Westerns too, which ultimately means they were jacked from Kurosawa in the first place. And this helps to ramp up the tension. They're very cinematic. They're very compelling images. It's very appropriate since Komatsu yelling cut 
confirms that we're watching the characters perform. Speaking of Shikaru's costume, I don't know if a one-booby bra is going to work for a school production. Even if it's over her school uniform, it's not really revealing anything, but it's like really kind of drawing attention to her breasts, even if it is over the, the uniform. I mean, I get the idea of wearing a cup. I have testicles, and I trained in martial arts for a decade, so I understand. There's a high degree of utility in protecting your genitals, and it's not lost on me. But, like, why just one breast? You're going to just protect your favorite one? I mean, who cares about that other titty? But if I get punched in this booby, I'm done for. It didn't really make sense to me. If you want to protect your breasts, I get it. Wear the metal sports bra by all means, but, like, just one breast. It seems weird that you want to protect one but not both and also maybe inappropriate for school production. We cut away to a flashback, which brings us up to speed a little bit on what's going on with our characters. They never really show you how Kasuga and Shikaru talk Ayuko into joining the production. We only really ever see Ayuko refusing and seeming uninterested. So it's kind of uncertain whether it was Kasuga or whether it was Shikaru that managed to sway her into joining the, the production, or maybe it was a little combo of the two. But we cut back to the present time in which Ayukawa is practicing with Shikaru. They're kind of blocking out their action sequence together before filming it. And it tells you that she's gotten into her role. She's kind of enjoying herself right now. And it's a nice, subtle piece of character development for Ayukawa because this was somebody who, in the original episodes, the first handful of episodes, she wouldn't even talk to Kasuga at school. And she liked Kasuga, and she wouldn't talk to the guy at school. And that tells you how committed she was at that time to holding everybody out at arm's length, not really letting anybody get too close to her at all, and that included all of her classmates. She was not going to get involved in anything extracurricular having to do with school. But nowadays, fast forward to today, we're watching episode 36, and She's kind of into it. I mean, even with buffoons like Komatsu and Hata at the helm, she's going along with them. So it's kind of this nice character development. She's opened up and she's come around and she does seem more open to these social uh, connections with her classmates and and just seems a little bit more open in general. So there's this this character arc that's going on with her as she does open herself up to forging relationships and being more open to the things that Kasuga brings to the table. Komatsu and Hata's artistic pretensions are subverted by their perverted, borderline, sexual assault type of behaviors. The way Komatsu berates Manami and Kurumi with this string of pretentious, artsy bullshit is really only intended to justify they're costuming in these leotards, get them to dress in a way that's sexy to, to him. On, on the other hand, Komatsu is obviously attempting to be exploitative. Not only will he himself enjoy looking at Manami and Kurumi in the leotards, but there's also a likelihood that the other students will be titillated as well. At least the straight males there at school will be. So he's obviously trying to use their physical gifts to entice viewership in his production. And so it works as a critique of Komatsu himself. Of course, he's boorish. Of course, he's selfish and self-centered. We're going to see that a lot in this episode. 
But I think by extension, it indicts or even lampoons other artists who use art as an excuse to gratify themselves and, and even sell tickets. Sex sells, right? Everybody's heard that. More than anything, I think maybe it is a critique of the sex sells mentality laying claim to some false sense of nobility by claiming that there's an artistic justification to what they're doing. Maybe the filmmakers are saying, if you want to enjoy some nudity, fine, but just don't call it art. A cutaway to an establishing shot of the school with darkened clouds overhead and the sound of gusting wind subtly sets a foreboding tone for what's coming. Clouds equal the threat of rain, thunder, lightning. We also know that it really only rains in Orange Road when there's some dire threat to Kasuga's relationship with Ayukawa. He has to be right on the verge of losing her, like when she was packing all her shit to move to America. We saw rain in that episode after Kasuga had learned that she's leaving the country. In this instance, the threat of rain symbolizes the threat that Kasuga might lose Ayukawa if his secret is exposed and he's forced to move. And in an instant, he's knocked over the railing on a staircase to plummet four floors down, and he teleports. What was really amazing is how rapidly and accurately Komatsu deduces Kasuga's secret abilities after seeing him teleport, when Kasuga has quite openly used the power many times before. Like in episode 25, that's the one where he hypnotizes himself for the first time and he uses the power wantonly at school, up and down. Many people witness it. He floats from falling off the school building. He floats down to the ground like freaking Mary Poppins. He floats. He lands gently. And in the previous episode, Kasuga was stealing all those panties and using the power to get panties off of girls as they were wearing the panties. He teleported last episode in front of several characters at different times. He teleported in front of Yusaku. He teleported not fully in front of Ayukawa, but she noticed that he disappeared a little too quickly. He teleported in in front of Komatsu and Hata themselves. It's really a wonder that the power hasn't been noticed before this episode. Often in this series, we see freeze frames where the image zooms out and it's surrounded by black. It's a visual motif that's even used with the photograph at the end of each episode. It's often accompanied by some voiceover from Kasuga. Here we see that same effect. Still image, camera zooms out, but then as Komatsu deduces that he's an esper, the image of Kasuga shatters. It's a not-so-subtle visual symbol for Kasuga's reaction to having his secret blown, and there's even the sound of shattering glass to go with it. And of course, Komatsu wants to exploit the opportunity to his own benefit, kind of continues with that characterization that we're seeing of Komatsu. He's very self-centered. He doesn't care about anybody else. He doesn't care about anybody else. He doesn't care about exploiting Kasuga, his supposed friend, or Kasuga's sisters by dressing them in these leotards for this production. I did enjoy the Superman film fantasy. It was kind of this cute use of intertextuality. It even included background music that was very, very similar to the Superman theme.
That was the Superman theme. This is the music played in the Orange Road episode to imitate the Superman theme. Sounded pretty similar, didn't they? They even include a The End title card in the fantasy. And the title card is modeled after the Paramount logo, but with Mount Fuji replacing the Paramount Mountain. And they also misspell Komatsu's name with an extra T-S. So it's like Komatsu. Now, Kasuga's argument with Hata and Komatsu is pure gaslighting. He's really relying on what's kept him safe thus far. Nobody believes in ESP. ESP is impossible. Therefore, no one thinks they're witnessing ESP. Kasuga just relies on that fact that no one's going to believe that he's got ESP because nobody thinks ESP exists. So even when they see clear evidence of ESP, they'll chalk it up to something else that does seem more believable to them. That's how he got away with all of his shit in the previous episodes that I just mentioned. Maybe he's relied a little too hard on that. And I think really my favorite thing about this episode, what I love the most is that Komatsu is so certain that Kasuga is an esper that his plan is essentially to attempt to murder Kasuga by way of a staged accident in order to force Kasuga into using his power. It's flawless logic, but it's such a leap. Like if you're wrong, then you just killed a person. You just conspired to murder somebody on the set of your student film. You got to love Komatsu's complete conviction that Kasuga would be able to avoid his own demise. Yeah, he's an esper. Let's just push him off the roof, right? There we go. If he's not an esper, he'll land on his head and break his neck and die. But, you know, I'm pretty sure he's an esper. So let's just push him off that roof, huh? For his part, the typically oblivious Kasuga is immediately aware of the true purpose of Komatsu's directing. He understands that Komatsu is trying to push him into a corner where he uses the power because he's got no other option, and it's all caught on film. This does become an opportunity for some cartoonish pratfalls that are fitting with the show's typically wacky kind of comedic nature. It's fine. They wouldn't be totally out of place in a Looney Tunes short either. Now, of course, because this episode centers around the film that Komatsu is producing, we get an inventive transition between scenes. There's a clapboard that's used as a transition. The clapboard comes in very fast. You hear the sound of the clapboard, and then it disappears. And as it disappears, the scene has changed. It's a kind of an inventive technique, and it's not overly obtrusive. It's befitting of the content of the episode, but... It's also subtle enough. It doesn't draw too much attention to itself. Little clapboard, real fast, and we're on to the next scene. Maybe my second favorite part of this episode was where the twins were pulling on each other's faces with the power. Even as they're in the middle of trying to lie to Komatsu and Hata about the very same power even existing in the first place, 
it's kind of cute to see them pulling on each other's faces, of course. It's kind of funny because they start shouting and yelling, and it makes no sense whatsoever to anybody standing around them. But then the fact that they're in the middle of lying about the power, claiming that it's not real, and that it's silly of Komatsu to even think that. Meanwhile, they're using the power to pull on each other's faces. It's pretty enjoyable. As I mentioned a few minutes ago throughout this episode, we get to see various characters reacting to the idea that Kasuga might have ESP. The first reaction we see is, of course, Komatsu. He's the first person to witness, and along with Hata, really the only people to directly witness Kasuga's ESP. And Komatsu immediately wants to just exploit Kasuga for his own personal gain. He wants to become a big filmmaker. Hata joins in a little bit. They're going to become rich and famous because they're going to exploit Kasuga to do so. Hata is a little bit less committed, I think, to the exploitation. I think Komatsu tends to be the nefarious schemer, and Hata is sort of along for the ride, but he's also kind of a goofball and really just wants to around a little bit he just kind of jokes and acts like a moron for the most part in this episode before redeeming himself at the end now when chikaru finds out that kasuga is an esper of course she thinks it's amazing because she thinks kasuga is amazing so it's consistent with her view of kasuga and it doesn't change her overall view of kasuga at all she already really 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 liked the guy and that was because she saw him use the power in episode two. She didn't realize it was uh, telekinesis at the time, although maybe she should have. She really ought to believe that he's got ESP after seeing him land that basket. Now, Kasuga himself is already beginning to emotionally accept that he'll be forced to leave town. And by the end of the episode, he's preparing his farewell speech to Ayukawa. He's thinking he needs to tell her that he's an Asper before she finds out on her own by watching the video and that he does need to prepare some kind of farewell for her because he's Takashi's back at home, Kurumi's back at home, they're packing their bags. And we do finally see how Ayuko would respond to learning that Kasuga is an Asper. She admits that it would be really neat, but it doesn't really seem to change her overall perception of Kasuga. She's the most laid back about it. Shikaru reacts very strongly. Komatsu has a very strong reaction. Hata has a very strong reaction. But Ayukawa, she doesn't seem to respond very strongly at all to that revelation. And I think more than anything, that would seem to indicate that Ayukawa has her own reasons for liking Kasuga and that it's not really related to his power. Power would be neat. It's not a drawback, but she loves him nonetheless. Speaking of which, this episode contains a great example of allowing Kasuga's intimate moments with Ayukawa to occur organically. They seem to stumble into their romantic, intimate moments. Whereas Kasuga's moments with Shikaru tend to be kind of forced or staged by Shikaru herself. And it does seem somewhat bold of Kasuga to take Ayukawa in his arms like that. He pulls her close. Perhaps he wants to express his feelings a bit more openly because he's afraid this might be his last chance. But I wondered what does it mean that Ayukawa wants their memories to be etched out one by one? Sort of sounds like a request to take things slowly, but they done been taking things slowly. Textbook slow burn. Somebody says slow burn, you point them at Orange Road. But it would also seem to indicate a desire on Ayukawa's part 
to have a long-term relationship with Kasuga. How else are they going to make memories together, right? you got to have a relationship with someone in order to build memories. Etching them out one by one sounds a lot like spending years together. And as she says that, we see a tight shot of her hands as she's flipping the pages of the script, kind of absentmindedly. She's just flipping through this script for the production that they're working on. And each page that she flips, it's like time going by. It's like the chapters of their life with this visual symbol. I think what she's saying ultimately is that she wants that with Kasuga. She wants to spend years together. She wants to build a whole book full of memories, and she wants to flow through the chapters of her life with Kasuga. And it seems like a very understated way of expressing that level of commitment. It's it's really nice, in my opinion, because it conveys this sense of longing to be together in a relatively mature way. It's a less of an emphasis on the physical, the lustful elements of a romantic relationship. It's nice for a teenage romance because the teenagers tend to be so driven by hormones. To see it have this other side to it, like it's okay if Ayuko and Kasuga are attracted to each other physically and they want to have sex with each other. That's kind of normal human behavior, right? But the other side of it, the impression that we are given that these two are almost like soulmates at this point, it really, really does help to build to this climax for their relationship. It really does help to kind of advance things. I mean, a lot of the complaints I see on the internet from modern day viewers of Orange Road is how much more slowly it moves than what they would expect and how so many of these episodes feels like no progress is being made. But I, I don't think that that's necessarily correct. I would point to a scene like this and I would point to this episode as being uh, evidence of, of great progression of Ayukawa's character. But, but I would also point to this scene specifically between Ayukawa and Kasuga in the classroom as they have this moment together as evidence of, of this progress between them, that this relationship really is becoming fully fleshed out. And because they don't rush into a relationship in this show and they don't rush into that physical intimacy, that they, they're able to kind of build this, this love and friendship side of their relationship as well. And I think that's really what makes us root for them as an audience. And I think that's what makes the conclusion of Orange Road so satisfying I also enjoyed Shikaru leapfrogging over Yusaku to jump into Kasuga's arms. It's like Yusaku was was there to kind of block her and protect Kasuga because he wanted to keep Kasuga for himself. And she totally fools him. You know, she goes low and he goes low and then she goes high, just leapfrogs right over him into Kasuga's arms. Sorry, Yusaku, you can't keep your man to, your, to yourself. This episode, I apologize. And I like how Komatsu treated Ayukawa like a, a diva out of literal fear. Of her. And I also appreciate that Ayukawa is screaming Kasuga's name as he's hanging off of the school. He's hanging off the side of the building. I think it's four floors. I counted the stairs when he was falling down the stairs. And I think it's four floors. You don't want to fall off. He probably wouldn't die, but you're going to break a leg. It's a bit of a view into Ayukawa's priorities. Undoubtedly, she doesn't want Shikaru to fall either. That's her 
best friend for pretty much their whole lives, but Yusaku's already yelling for Shikaru. So she shows this obvious care and concern and worry over Kasuga's safety. And it's nice. It shows us kind of what her priorities are. I mean, she's worried about Kasuga and what's going to happen to Kasuga if he falls from the roof. And it's somewhat similar to the Mushroom of Truth episode when they were hanging off the suspended bridge. It's this little moment of real physical danger. There's a lot of of physical comedy in this show, people getting hit by things, people falling off of things. Um, Kasuga has cartoonishly survived much worse than a fall off the school roof. He throws himself down the stairs many times, that big outdoor 99 stairs. I mean, he's just jumped off of those and like landed on his head, giving himself CTE in an attempt to time travel. In episode 16, he gets beat up pretty badly in a fall. Yusaku survived worse with no repercussions. White lovers, I think he gets into a ski accident that would have killed a normal person. Just ask Sonny Bono. So the idea that these characters undergo physical trauma for comedy all the time and they shake it off. Continuity is optional in this show anyway, right? Somebody can bang their head and then be fine in the next scene. This is one of those rare occasions where we're supposed to believe that they're in serious trouble. Like they wouldn't just bounce when they hit the bottom, but that compared to all of that kind of similar other physical damage they take, this is like, this is serious physical damage. Forget the fact that they're two of the three main characters. It's not like they're going to die in this episode, but even still there's that moment they're hanging off the side of the, the school and it's serious. Is he going to use his power? Are they going to get pulled up by Ayukua and Yusaku at the last minute? Are they going to fall and hit the ground? Who knows what's going to happen? Hata is the real MVP by actually trying to save Kasuga and Shikaru with that trampoline. After stating that he would never put his camera down, that he was committed to getting the shot, he actually ditches Komatsu's plan and tries to save Kasuga. And I got to say that's why he redeemed himself a little bit at the end. He didn't seem as committed to the self-serving plan as Komatsu was. And when the rubber met the road, his priority was helping out his friends. And as Kasuga is falling from the school roof, he sees flashes of an image of Ayukua, smiling, looking happy. If his life is flashing before his eyes, this ought to tell you what his priorities are. He's only seeing Ayukua. So again, as he falls, Kasuga is forced to use the power. And at that point, he resigns himself to leaving town. Like I said, Kasuga, Takashi, Kurumi, the next day they're at home packing all their shit, getting ready to move to the next town. At least with this episode, unlike episode 32, they wrap this up with a little bit of an explanation. While everybody else remains unaware of Kasuga's power, Komatsu has now witnessed teleportation twice and... Even at the end of this episode, he remains convinced that Kasuga is an esper. And yet, Komatsu never brings it up again. It's another one of those things. Continuity optional. There were some fun intertextual references in this episode. I mentioned Superman, Paramount Pictures. There's also the Terminator element. Terminator 2 had not yet been released, so they couldn't have possibly been referencing Terminator 2, but they were obviously referencing Terminator 1 when Yusaku was wearing the mask. And at the end of the the episode, 
Yusaku dons the mask again to go pummel Komatsu and Hata, and they even yell Schwarzenegger at him. So it's a very overt reference to uh, the first Terminator film. James Cameron directed that, of course. And then there's even a reference to 20th Century Fox. The Komatsu Productions title card is a riff on the, the very famous, very ubiquitous 20th Century Fox title. And my greatest regret for this episode is that we never really get to see the film that Komatsu wound up making. That's something that I would have loved to see. I would have loved to see what kind of narrative they wound up cobbling together. You know what else I would love? I'd love to see you go on over to patreon.com slash and become a patron of Team Elmi Studios. We bring you this fine podcast and we produce a couple of other things as well that I'm sure you're going to enjoy. If you join our Patreon, I'm going to send you stuff in the mail. There's no stopping me. I'm going to send you something in the mail. You're going to get something from me. It's a thank you card. It's a little thank you package. And you'll also get a whole host of bonus content. We've got more on the way. I'm going to be making katsu-sans. And I'm going to be talking about the Shonen Jump uh, pilot episode of this uh, TV series. It doesn't really go in with the rest of these TV episodes. But it's it's sort of like a uh, rough draft for what we wound up getting with these 48 episodes uh so i've got a bunch of uh, bonus content planned and i'm going to keep it coming you'll also get access to my other podcast which is patreon exclusive it is called shit happens when you party naked it really doesn't have anything to do with anime at all but it's fun and you need other things to listen to in your life you can't just listen to avocado cafe i'd love it if you did but you know i make other podcasts so please feel free to listen to the other stuff that i make um in addition, speaking of which, I also produce a show, co-produce a show called Creatures of the Night. It's a fun, kooky, wacky, conspiracy theory and paranormal podcast. We just get crazy. We just get crazy and talk shit. So uh, please come check that one out. I'll put a link in the show notes to Creatures of the Night podcast. And I want to thank you again for listening to this episode. I want to thank all of my listeners. I want to thank all of my patrons very much for your support. I want to welcome uh, new patron, Ben, just joined yesterday. Thank you very much, Ben, for joining. I very, very much appreciate you, and your package is in the mail, my friend. Uh, I have, for everybody, today as an outro, I have a live version of Sad Heart is Burning. That's the ending theme for this episode. And uh, this is Wada Kanako, and she is really working very hard. One thing I can say about the Japanese is that they are hard workers, and Wada Kanako in this video is working very hard. In addition to singing, she's dancing, she's busting a move. This woman is burning calories, and I will include a link to the video in the show notes so you guys can see uh, the extent to which she is working. Please enjoy. Enjoy. <laughs> 